It's Saturday, January the 22nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, ketchup, Blinken and Lavrov meet, and Wall Street's bad week. First, the week in brief. Anthony Blinken, America's top diplomat, warned his Russian counterpart of a, quote, united, swift and severe response if Russia invades Ukraine. As Mr Blinken and Sergei Lavrov met for talks in Geneva, about 100,000 Russian troops waited on Ukraine's borders. Mr Lavrov said the talks were, quote, frank, but useful and denied again that Russia has any hostile intent towards Ukraine. Talks will continue next week. Stock markets in America suffered their worst week in nearly two years as investors braced for the impact of tighter monetary policy on company valuations. High-growth firms were some of the worst performers. The Nasdaq Composite, a tech-heavy index, fell by 7.6% this week. The S&P 500 shed 5.7%. The Federal Reserve is expected to raise interests three times this year, possibly starting in March. America's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said booster shots for the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccines were at least 19% effective at preventing hospitalization during the Delta and Omicron surges. Yet only about 40% of Americans have received a third jab. Meanwhile, a judge in Texas blocked the Biden administration for enforcing a vaccine mandate for federal employees. Gabrielle Barich, Chile's new leftist incoming president, tapped the current central bank chief, Mario Marcel, as his finance minister, a move that ought to calm investors worried about a leftwards lurch by the new administration. Women were named to 14 posts in the 24-person cabinet, including the Interior, Defence and Mining Ministries. A third of the appointees are independents. America said it would suspend 44 flights operated by four Chinese airlines in retaliation for China's own suspension of dozens of American flights. Under Chinese rules, airlines have their operations halted if more than five passengers on a flight test positive for COVID-19. Since it closed its borders to keep out COVID, only a handful of international flights touched down in China each day. More than 100 people were killed or wounded in an airstrike on a prison in Yemen. The attack was reportedly carried out by the Saudi-led coalition in the town of Sada, a stronghold of Houthi rebels. Bombing raids have continued all week after the Houthis attacked the United Arab Emirates, a close ally of South Arabia on Monday, killing three. Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, was said to be fit and well after undergoing a cardiac catheterization, a procedure in which a small tube is fed through a blood vessel and into the heart to check for problems. Mr López Obrador suffered a serious heart attack in 2013 and has only just recovered from a second bout of COVID-19. And word of the week. Gorontula, noun. The snot apple fruit 
said in Nigeria to boost libido and fertility. And now, here's today's agenda. Russia's military options in Ukraine. Ten Russian divisions are gathered on Ukraine's borders. If Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, decides to use them, what are his options? He might confine an attack to the Donbass region, where Russia has waged a proxy war since 2014. Or he might try to seize a land bridge to Crimea, the peninsula he annexed the same year. But if his aim is to separate Ukraine from the West entirely, he will need to land a bigger blow. Ukraine would be ill-equipped to defend itself against air, cyber and missile strikes on its army and critical infrastructure. An accompanying ground war could come from many directions. Russian troops are streaming west to Belarus, ostensibly for exercises, which puts them in a good position to encircle Kyiv. Such an invasion, noted Joe Biden, America's president, would be, quote, the most consequential thing that's happened in the world in terms of war and peace since World War II. A new concert venue in Budapest. It looks as though an alien landed a gorgeous spaceship in Budapest City Park. On Saturday, this flashy new building, the Hungarian House of Music, will open its doors to visitors for the first time. The museum and performance space, built to celebrate the country's distinguished musical past and present, blends into its surroundings. Enveloped by forest and overlooking Lake Varis Laghetti, the building has walls of glass. The sloping roof is pierced with nearly 100 holes of different shapes and sizes for trees to grow through. The idea was to dissolve, quote, the boundary between the natural and the built environment, says Su Fujimoto, the Japanese architect who designed it. Roofs are clearly his thing. In Hida City, Japan, he is working on a university due to open in 2024 with a walkable rooftop that curves to meet the ground. Heart health depends on walking pace. Those who discount walking as a form of exercise do so at their peril. Regular ramblers know how strenuous a bracing walk can be and studies show that brisk daily walks are life-extending. The operative word, though, is brisk. New research on 25,000 postmenopausal women in the Journal of the American Geriatric Society has found that when it comes to heart health, walking pace is key. Fast-walking women who exceed 3 miles per hour, 4.8 kilometres per hour, had a 34% lower risk of heart failure than women who potter along under two miles per hour. Moreover, walking less than one hour weekly at a rapid gait was equivalent to more than two hours of leisurely ambling. So gradually upping one's walking pace may be more advisable than getting the steps in, although the frailest folk should not overdo it. Mass uptake could take long strides towards combating cardiovascular disease, the biggest killer in the world. India's Captaincy Crisis 
Few positions in India are as prestigious or carry as much weight as captain of the country's test cricket team. For much of his tenure, Virat Kohli handled the burden well. He was India's most successful captain, instilling confidence in a team that many felt needed it. When he resigned on January 15th, it came as a shock. The pressure of captaincy may have prompted the decision, but more likely it was a deteriorating relationship with the Indian game's cosy club of administrators. For much of his tenure, Mr Kohli wielded unfettered power, deciding even the team coach. But as his form faltered, so did the bigwigs' indulgence. In December, they relieved him of the captaincy for one-day internationals, a shorter format, prompting an outcry from fans. They may be relieved that Mr Coley resigned voluntarily, pre-empting another controversy. Yet they now face a bigger problem. Replacing him. Weekend Profile Afia Siddiqui When Malik Faisal Akram took four people hostage at a synagogue in Texas on January 15th, he demanded the release of a woman known throughout the Muslim world, Afia Siddiqui. Half an hour's drive from the synagogue, she sits in federal prison, convicted of attempting to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan in 2008. But in her native Pakistan, she is a symbol of mistreatment by the West. Miss Siddiqui was born in 1972 to a devout upper-middle-class family in Karachi. She studied biology at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and earned a PhD in neuroscience at Brandeis University. While in America, she also associated with militant Islamist groups. After 9-11, Miss Siddiqui left Boston for Pakistan. After a divorce from her first husband, a Pakistani anethiologist, she remarried, this time to a man with jihadist credentials. Amma al-Baluchi allegedly helped finance the 9-11 hijackers. His uncle Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was the self-confessed mastermind behind the attacks. Both men are now at the Guantanamo Bay detention facility. The Americans alleged that she served as a, quote, facilitator for al-Qaeda, landing her a spot as the sole woman on the FBI's list of wanted terrorist suspects. She has never been charged with terrorism. Miss Siddiqui's whereabouts between 2003 and 2008 are disrupted. American intelligence agencies say she was hiding in Pakistan. At first she did too, although she has also claimed that she was held and tortured at a secret prison. In 2008 she reappeared in Afghanistan and was detained. In her handbag were documents including instructions for making bombs. While in detention, she snatched the rifle of one of her American interrogators and fired at them. She was flown to New York, tried for attempted murder and sentenced to 86 years imprisonment. Pakistan's government paid for her legal defence, which questioned the evidence against her. Imran Khan, the Prime Minister, has called for her release. Dubbed Lady Al-Qaeda by news media in the West, she is called, quote, Daughter of the Nation in Pakistan. About the recent incident in Texas, her lawyer condemned it and other violence committed in her name. Much about her story remains shrouded in mystery, yet it has come to symbolise very different things to different people.
Finally, here's the quote of the day. From Gotthold Lessing, who was born on this day in 1729. The worst of superstitions is to think one's own most bearable. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 